need to save the people we can right now. So you could save the lives of two or three or ten others. Maybe a hundred others. Each and every one of these people are here because they serve a purpose. When I was a kid, I had dreams and plans and visions to become somebody great, somebody that would save the world, somebody that would impact my community, somebody that would help the people around me in such a tangible way. And rather than just sitting on the fence, I decided as I grew up a little bit to get off that fence and actually to chase that dream, quite literally, because that dream was to become a garbage man. (laughs) Not what you thought, right? But when I was a little kid... I used to quite literally stand on the fence of my backyard, and I grew up in Texas where we had alleyways, and I would watch every single week when the garbage man would drive up and down my alley picking up people's trash, and I told myself, that is my dream job. Now, I don't want to, if you are in the waste management business, I want to say personally thank you to you because you are making an impact on your community and the world around you. You are an incredible blessing to us. But as I began to grow up, I realized very quickly that was not quite the dream that I thought I really wanted. And I decided to move on from the dream of being in waste management, being a garbage man, to the dream of being a football player. Every little boy wanted to be a football player one day in their life, right? And so I was actually a kid who was quite, bigger, uh, quite, quite a lot bigger than all of the other children around me. I, I grew very fast. I was easily a foot taller than all the kids around me whenever it was Little League football time. And, you know, I could just, I could pound those kids. And so I loved it. I loved playing football. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm going to kind of beat up on those who are smaller than me, take advantage of my size. And thought that that was going to be the dream, the vision that was going to uh, be lasting in my life. And, and the thing that I would do um, to be able to make money and a livelihood. And as I grew up, I grew out of that phase and realized, you know what? I need to go and move on to something that is uh, more, more um, real if you will. And I actually landed on the idea and the desire, something that God had knit in my heart and something that I thought I was decently good at, and it was to become an engineer. And so I started to um, approach the idea of becoming a civil engineer, and I started running after that, started doing some college visits, and in high school um, really uh, started pursuing that idea educationally and in my mind and my heart of what I wanted to do. And it was about the time that I was 17 years old that the Lord visited me Um, not in a vision, but just in my heart, and spoke to me for one of the first times that I can ever remember in my life, the Lord speaking to me, and it was clear as day. And what I felt like the Lord said to me was, hey, Marcus, I want you to put aside right now all of those dreams, and I want you to listen to what I'm calling you into. I want you to listen to my calling upon your life. And so obviously, you know, I asked the Lord, well, okay, well, what is your calling? And I felt like the Lord directed me to um, finish up school as fast as I could, finish up high school. I actually graduated high school early and go into an organization called Youth with a Mission, one that I was uh, vaguely familiar with, didn't have a ton of familiarity with it, but it was called Youth with a Mission, YWAM for short. You probably heard about it if you've been around JFC for any amount of time, but it's the largest Christian missions sending organization in the entire world. And so I finished school, I went into YWAM, not knowing exactly what the Lord was going to do, and not knowing fully what he meant by listening to his calling, but I knew that he was saying and speaking something to me. 
And it was during this period of time, as well as over the, the years since then, even to this very day, that I've begun to learn what God's call upon my life is, and ultimately what God's call upon the life of all believers are. In fact, I want to challenge you right now that as the Lord spoke to me at, at 17 years old and has continued to reveal to me his calling, I want to challenge every one of you that hears this message, whether you're here in this room, maybe you're attending live online, maybe you're at our Lakewood campus live streaming, or maybe you're listening to this somewhere later on um, down the road. I want to challenge you right now to do one thing in particular, and it would be to listen to God's calling upon your life. And if you want to know what God's calling is, there are some nuances and some little things that are very um, purposeful and very specific for each and every one of us. But there are some other pieces of God's calling upon our lives that I think are the same for all who call themselves followers of Christ. And I think very clearly those calls upon our lives, the call upon our life can be clearly, clearly found through Jesus' words, excuse me, in the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew chapter 22 uh, Jesus speaks what is called the great commandment. You've probably heard this before. We've, we've brought it up before uh, from this pulpit. And if you've been around church, you've heard it. And I'm not going to read it explicitly, but the great commandment is simply Jesus saying this. He's saying the greatest thing that you can do in your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said with his own words, two of the greatest things, the greatest things that you can do in your life is to love God with everything that you have and in turn, because of your love for God, to love other people. Well, how do we do that? What does it look like to love other people? Well, I think Jesus, a few chapters later, um, through his ministry, actually answered it in a really amazing way of how it looks and what it should look like for us to love other people. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And I want to read that to you really quickly. It's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And it says this. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he speaks to the disciples, but in turn he's speaking to us through the disciples. And he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples who are followers of Christ, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So very quickly, I want to reveal to you what God's call upon your life and God's call upon my life are. And I want to let you know very quickly as well that what you do as a profession does not necessarily equate to what God's call is upon your life. In fact, what I realize is that for many of us, most of us in this world, our professions, what we do to make money, what we do um, to be able to have a livelihood and support our families, don't always match up fully with God's call upon our lives. Um, but God still has a call on your life to not just be a follower of Christ, loving God with all your heart, but to be one who is going out there and sharing the love of Christ in every atmosphere that you're in to be a missionary, if you will. Now, God's call upon your life means that you follow him, that you love him, and you share him in your work atmospheres, in your atmospheres at home. But it also means that you do it in the world at large. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Because the reality is, as we begin to listen to God's call, and we, be we begin to realize what Jesus has spoken to us, then I think we start to really recognize that there's a great challenge that's been set forth before us 
that God has called every single one of his people into. And it's a challenge that's not easily, easily accomplished unless we believe in his power. We don't just need to listen to his calling upon our lives, but we need to believe in the power of God first and foremost. Because here's what I also know. I know that me, and I'll speak for myself, but I think that we are all probably can be generalized into this category. I am a fallible person. I'm a person with a lot of faults, a lot of issues, a lot of sin. I'm very imperfect. And pretty much every situation that I step into, it's an imperfect situation because I'm an imperfect person. But the beauty of knowing God and the beauty of being called by God is this, that God has the power to take imperfect people and place them into his perfect plan for this world. And unless we believe in his power beyond our power, then we will never fully see his call in our lives played out the way that he wants. You see, the mind is such a powerful thing in our lives. The mind has the power to control every action that happens in our lives. And so it's one thing to know that you're called, and it's one thing for me to point to Jesus' words in the book of Matthew telling you that you are called, telling you that you are chosen to go out there and to bring the gospel message. But if what you believe here says, I can't do that because I am fallible, because I do mess things up, then you will never do it. But the good news is, is this. God has not called you to believe in your power, but God has called you to believe in his power. And as I began to understand this in my life, and even over the years, started to recognize what this looks like for me, and I'm, and I'm still learning what this looks like, and still walking in faith every day um, in, through this process, I had the opportunity to watch a movie that I thought really encapsulated this idea of the power of God in our lives beyond what we could ever imagine. And it was a movie called Everest. And I don't know if you guys saw it. It came out this past year, um, a very powerful movie. Uh, it's actually a true story. Um, and it was written about, uh, it, it, about a, a, a trek of guys, men and women, who were going to summit Mount Everest, tallest mountain in the world, top of the world, um, in the early 90s where hiking and climbing Everest was just starting to become commercialized. And during this time... Uh, a big storm rolled through and some tragedy struck uh, a group of people and a group of climbers as they began to try to summit Everest. And so I want to set this up really quickly. There was a man on this trip. He was from Texas. His name was Beck. And um, he got trapped in the storm. He became snowblind, and he was unable to complete the summit. And so rather than being able to go back to camp, he couldn't see. Um, the people who were with him went on to summit Everest, and they were going to come back and get him but a storm hit, and then a storm rolled in, and unfortunately, he got trapped in it with nobody around, and only to try to find his way back, and only to find that he eventually collapsed to the ground and froze to the ground with a few other people. So that's kind of where we come in on this clip, but I want you guys to watch this, and I want you to see what I mean by this. It's good. It's gonna take all we got just to get ourselves out. Oh, I'm dying, man. 
Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 10 says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that cover the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. The power of God has the ability to bring back to life that which is dead. We don't need to know how. We just need to know that God has every ability and every desire to breathe life into that which is dead. And as the followers of Christ, we have been called by him. We have been challenged by him. We have been put into the ministry of Christ to come and to speak life into that which is seemingly dead. You know, something that captures me from this clip of this movie is those guys at the very beginning, and I don't know if you heard them, but Beck is out there frozen to the ground, and these guys are sitting in this tent, three men who are just trying to make it out alive and verbally express, we only have enough to get ourselves out of this place alive. And I want to let you know, church, that if the mentality that you have here is that you only have enough to get yourself out alive, then you are missing one of the greatest things that God wants to do in you and God wants to do through you. Because his power does not just have the power to rescue you, 
But the power of God is to use you to breathe life into those who are dead. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then I want to take you a little bit further on this journey. And I don't want to just talk about you listening to God's calling upon your life. And I don't want to just talk about you believing in his power because you have his power. You have been equipped by our heavenly father to bring his power. But you can't just believe it here. It has to be put into action here. And the thing that I wanted to spend the most time on today was talking about what it means to actually listen to his calling, to actually believe in his power, but what it means to put those two things together and to ultimately live with what I would call a selfless faith. A selfish faith is one where we zip ourselves in a tent just hoping to survive. That one day, everything will be great. One day, I'll be with God. I'll be with Jesus. Everything will be fine. But man, I'm just trying to survive right now. But a selfless faith, the one that God has called us into, the one that he has commissioned us into in the book of Matthew is something so much more glorious than just sitting trying to survive. And it's a life of thriving. In fact, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 19, I think encapsulates this call upon our lives that God has commissioned us into in a phenomenal way. And it says this, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God, grab this, guys, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Church, I want to challenge you today to not just Grab hold of the truth that Jesus came to give you life, but Jesus came to give life to all who would accept it, who all would open their arms and open their hearts to what Christ has done for us. But he wants to use you unselfishly to bring that message to the world. Now, I don't want to pretend that I know what that looks like for each and every one of you. I know you are called to be part of that. I know Christ himself has beckoned you and has commissioned you into this But I don't know exactly how that works and how that looks for your life. But what I do know is that for me personally, um, I pursued this and I started running after this at the age of 17, never knowing exactly what it was going to look like. And as I joined YWAM and Youth with the Mission, I had an opportunity to go and to travel the world and to experience what it means to actually fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the good news to all people. I traveled all across the globe. I traveled and saw all different types of countrysides and all different types of people and all different types of religion and came and brought the gospel message to those people and saw amazing, abundant blessings both in my life as well as what God wanted to do in the harvest for his people. But in April, I had an experience that 
completely changed my worldview and has completely rocked the way that I think about the world around us to this day. Something that uh, has really shaken me and challenged me to the core, something that I've not even fully been able to process in the months after um, because I had an opportunity to go into uh, what's called the unreached world. First time ever I've had, ever had an opportunity to go in what's called the unreached world, and I went to the country of Nepal. And I'm going to talk about this really quickly. Um, but as I begin to talk about this, I want to bring you guys a few statistics, and I want you to follow with me through this, because I know some of this is going to be hard to digest and hard to fully comprehend, but I want to take you on a journey really quickly. And the journey starts here. It starts in the world, right? The world. There should be a map behind me. It's a map of the world, and I don't know a whole lot. I'm not the smartest guy on earth, but I do know that I live here, okay? I live along with you somewhere on this map, and on this map, it represents a population of 7.38 billion people. That's how many people currently live on the face of our planet, 7.38 billion people. And this this uh, planet that we live on is made up of a bunch of different continents, and within those continents are a bunch of different countries or nations. There's 196 of them to be exact. Um, but within those nations are what are called people groups. And you can't think of people just as the nation that they're from. You need to think about it uh, as the people within that nation that they relate to well. And in fact, people groups can be most clearly defined as the largest group of people where there is good understandability as well as good acceptance amongst that group. A lot of that comes from religion. A lot of that comes from language and or dialect. It comes from, you know, the ethnicity of those people. But within every nation, there's, there's hundreds if not thousands of people groups within those nations that make up that nation. And I think that we can even see that in our own backyard. There's different people groups around us. And there has been groups and organizations that have gone across the globe to be able to document how many people groups there are within the world. And there's somewhere around 16,500 different distinct people groups in the world. This 7.38 billion people make up 16,500 different people groups. And out of the 16,500 people, or 16,500 people groups, there are 6,500 of them are, that are considered what's called an unreached people group. Now, I want to define that for you. 6,500 unreached people groups exist in this world, but an unreached people group is this. It's an indigenous community of people who do not have the number of believers or the resources to bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ to them. Let me narrow down just a little bit more what that means. An unreached people group means that these people live within a community, within a society, within a body of other people that they can understand and that they accept, that have no access to a Bible in their language, that have no ability to find or even knowledge of a Christian church in the area, and traditionally there are absolutely no believers, no people who believe in Jesus Christ, or at least no people who believe that are sharing Christ with them in the area that they live in. They are completely removed, almost 100% of them, from any knowledge of Jesus that we serve. Not just uh, not accepting Christ, but these are people who legitimately do not know who Jesus is. In fact, there are 3.06 billion people in the world today, currently, who are completely unreached with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There are 3.06 billion, 40.3% of the population of the earth do not know who Jesus is. 
That is nine times the population of the United States. And you know what's absolutely amazing? What's fascinating to me, what's stunning, and what's also heartbreaking is currently today, there is only one missionary for every 229,816 of those people. In the unreached world, there, are, there is one missionary for every 229,816 people who are lost and who have no idea who Jesus is. It's a big issue that we face in the world today. But I know it's such a big issue that I want to narrow down a little bit more and not just talk about 3.06 billion people. I actually want to take a section of the world called the 1040 window. And within this 1040 window, there are 4.83 billion people that live here. And the reason that we take this section of the world, we've talked about it in front of the church before, it's called the 1040 window. It's where the largest saturation of unreached people in the world live. It's actually also, if you know anything about history and you know anything about religion, um, it's actually where all, every single one of the major world religions that are currently celebrated have started. And within this 1040 window, there are 4.83 billion people that live there, and out of those 4.83 billion people, 61.5% of them are unreached. That means there's 2.97 billion people that live within this small portion of the earth that have no idea who Jesus is. Now, I also realize that that's something that's super hard to consume and to digest. So let's drill a little bit deeper into the 1040 window. And I don't want to talk about the entire 1040 window. I actually want to talk about one nation within the 1040 window that I got a chance to go visit in April. And it's called the nation of Nepal. And within Nepal, there are 28.75 million people. Okay, now we're getting to something that's a little bit more manageable, something that we can actually wrap our mind around, getting into the millions. Out of 28.75 million people in the nation of Nepal... 28.48 million of them, which is 99.1% of the population, are completely unreached. They have no access to a Bible in their language. There is no church that they can get up and go walk to. And for most of these people, there are no believers and no missionaries coming and bringing the gospel message to them. They are so far out of reach from any understanding of what the gospel message looks like. But, you know, out of 28.75 million I think oftentimes the question is like, what am I supposed to do about that? How am I supposed to help that? So let's drill a little bit deeper into the nation of Nepal. Let's get a little bit smaller into a region in that nation, and actually within that region into a little little valley. And we're going to zoom all the way into that little dot on the screen, and we're going to look at this little map. And this little map shows us what's called the Nupri Valley. And this Nupri Valley is actually where I had an opportunity along with seven other men from this church to go and to bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And this Nupri Valley is somewhere that God is doing amazing things. And he is breaking through and the message of Jesus Christ is being brought into this valley. And in this valley, there are 4,700 people who live here. It's easy to count 4,700 people. When you send enough people out and they start counting, you can find out how many people actually live here. And within this valley, there are 4,700 people that live here. And out of those 4,700 people, it has been documented that 4,324 have never one time in their lives heard the name of Jesus. Out of 4,700 people, 4,324 have never heard the name of Jesus. And I had an opportunity in April to go and with seven of the men go trek this valley. And through this valley, we hiked about 60 miles. We didn't hike the entire valley, but we passed thousands of people. And across the 60 miles... We passed one person, one documented believer through the whole valley, and that guy exists where the little star on that map is. 
of the thousands of people that we prayed for and the thousands of people that we played with and all of the kids that we touched and reached out that you're about to see here in just a second, rather than just talking about it, I actually want to take you on a trip to see what we experienced out of all of these people that we had an opportunity to reach out and to touch and to pray for. Only one of them has ever come into an acceptance of the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how that makes you think about unreached people, but for me, it changed everything. I've heard the stories and I've heard the statistics, but whenever I had an opportunity to go out and to reach out and to touch these people, to go and actually shake the hand of the one person in this valley who's a believer that hasn't been murdered and hasn't been chased out, I started to fully realize the gravity and the weight of what Christ has called me to do to bring the name of Jesus to all people. You know, in this valley, it's pretty interesting. It's outside of this one guy. It's 100% Buddhist. It starts, the valley starts at the base of the eighth tallest mountain in the world, a mountain called Mount Manaslu. The name of that, the name Manaslu, it means spirit. And once... It was the Spirit of God that lived in that place, but right now it is not the Spirit of God that has taken over that place. It is a whole different spirit. It's a spirit of fear. It's a spirit where people live most of their lives just trying to make it to the next life, where they just try to appease the spirits and live a life where they can make them happy, a life where Any person, and it's been documented, any person who has ever even opened up the idea of what it means to become a Christian has either been persecuted and chased out of the area, or even just a few years ago, there was a husband and wife who accepted Christ, and they were murdered for their faith. It's a place where darkness truly has just settled in and pushed out not just open hearts to the gospel, but any knowledge of the gospel. And church, I want to take you to a place in Scripture. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, where Paul, I believe, appropriately puts a weight upon us that we each need to hold on to and we each need to grasp because it's something that he has called every one of us to, Christ himself has called us to. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, it says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, though, will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. There was a man who was a pastor of a really large Baptist church in the south. And he had an opportunity to go and take a trip just like I did with a ministry called the Footstool Project, which which is the same ministry that we had an opportunity to go into partner with and to bring the gospel message with them. And his world was so rocked by this, a church of tens of thousands of people that he was a pastor of, that he came home and he quit his job as a pastor of that church because he could no longer live his life without doing something about it. 
He actually very recently, his name is David Platt, he actually very recently took over what's called the International Missions Board. It's the, um, it's the missions board for all Baptist churches. It's a sending organization that sends thousands of missionaries across the world. And from his experience, the Lord rocked his life in such an amazing way, the way that God has rocked my life. Um, and he said this really incredible quote that I thought was, was very um, challenging for me, and I hope that it's challenging for you. And it has to do with those of us who have taken ownership of the gospel of Christ, not just those who have accepted the life that's come through Jesus, but those who truly want to own what it means to be a follower of Christ and to walk out in his calling. And he said this statement, and I believe it's in your notes, and he says, ownership of the gospel creates an obligation with the gospel. I want to say that one more time. Ownership of the gospel message of Jesus should create an obligation with the gospel. And church, I want to ask you, what is the obligation with the gospel that God has called you to, and how are you fulfilling that in your life today? Because I want to let you know that there are 3.09 billion people in this world today that need the life and the message that comes through knowing Jesus Christ that have never heard his name, and he wants to use you to go and bring that life to them. You know, traveling the world, I had an opportunity to go, like I said, and share the gospel message of Jesus all over the world, but I never fully understood how great of a challenge God has called us to and how unless I go, or unless you give, or unless we pray, these people will never receive that message. In fact, there are 3.06 billion people in this world today who will be born, who will live their lives, and who will die currently without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ. And that is a problem. It's a problem that we, God's people, the ones who own the gospel message of Jesus Christ, need to do something about And I am not standing up here to condemn you, and I am not standing up here even to convict you that is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. But what I felt like the Lord said to me today was the win for today was this, that God's people would start to care about the problem. You know, I think oftentimes we think it's a problem when we have to sit in the line at a drive-thru Starbucks for 10 minutes. That's not a problem. You know what's a problem? It's a problem that in these areas of the world, anyone who has even come and tried to approach the name of Jesus Christ has been pushed out or killed for what they believe. And the people who are killing them are thinking that they are doing a justice and honoring God by what they're doing. That's a problem. We think it's a problem that gas prices are going up. But you know what a problem is? The problem is, is that 50% of children born in this place, in these areas of the world, specifically in Nepal and specifically in this valley, 50% of children that are born will not live to see their eighth birthday. Because such a stranglehold of darkness has taken upon this place. And it's not just pushed out Christianity, it's pushed out everything that is good for God's people, for His children. That means health. That means the ability to sustain life in a good way. That means keeping families together. I mean, when you push out the life of God, everything good goes with it. And darkness is the only thing to settle in. And I want to let you know, church, you can make a difference. 
I never fully knew what that meant. But now I do. And I don't know where you have sat with an understanding of what that means, but what I do know is this. Now, you have a responsibility to care about it. You have a responsibility to ask God in your heart how he sees things and what you're supposed to do about it. You have been commissioned, church. And I know this is heavy, but I don't want to release any of that pressure because it is heavy. And there is a truth that I've heard many people say, and it is, but Pastor Marcus, there are people in our own backyard that need Jesus. Absolutely there are. There are people in downtown Denver, there are neighbors that I live with on my cul-de-sac that need Jesus, yes. But one thing that I know about those people is they are not unreached. And you say, well, how do you know that they're not unreached? Because you live with them. Because they can get up on their two feet or they can get in their car and they can drive to a church and they can read a Bible in their language and they have neighbors or people that work with them that will bring the gospel message of Christ and absolutely we are responsible to bring Jesus to those people. But these people, they have no neighbors that know Christ. They have no churches. They have no Bibles. And how are these people to know the gospel message unless we go? And how are we supposed to go unless we've been called? And today you are called. Now, I don't know what that means for you. But my prayer for you is that you would start to care about it. Maybe you've never cared like I never cared. And it wasn't because I didn't want to care. But it's because I didn't know. I'd heard the statistics. But, I mean, wrapping your mind around 3.06 billion people, that's just impossible. But when I took a 60-mile trek with seven guys... And realized only one person that I passed along that entire trek was a believer. And he could not tell anybody that he was a believer because he would be killed because of it. I started to realize the gravity of this situation. So church, I just want to let you know that you have been called by God to be part of his kingdom. And his power through you can change the world. But you have to live with a selfless faith to see that happen. There's no condemnation right now. But I pray that there's a burden on your heart to at least start praying for these people and to believe and link arms with others who are followers of Christ, to believe that God can and will do something in this area of the world with these people. And if you do want to know more about the unreached world, there are some resources for you. One of the great organizations that's going out there and documenting people groups, specifically unreached people groups. It's, a, it's an organization called Joshua Project, and you can find their information on joshuaproject.net. You can go online, you can see all the statistics of how many people have been reached in these areas, and who's bringing the gospel, and how many missionaries there are, if any, and all of the statistics for unreached people groups can be found there. And then there's another website for the Footstool Project. It's the ministry that is doing incredible things within the Tibetan Buddhist world in Nepal, the one that we had a chance to partner with. And you can find their information on tfp.asia, but maybe for those of you who are here or maybe at our Lakewood campus, um, you have the opportunity today to actually go out into our foyer, and we actually have a footstool project table set up with information about their ministry and about Nepal and about this valley 
where we can share with you and get into your hands what God is doing through this place and how he can use you. And I got great news. If you feel like you're supposed to go, maybe God's putting a, a burden on your heart to go, there is actually a trip happening with the Foot School Project in October, and there are four spots available. And then in 2017, we as a church are going to also be sending a group of at least eight individuals, and we're hoping to possibly even send two groups if there's enough interest into this area of the world to bring the light of Jesus. And if you want to be part of that, then I want to tell you there is an open door for you. And there's an awesome opportunity. If you want to know what we are doing as a church completely in missions, both to the unreached and to the reached areas of the world, you can go to missions.jfc.org. And then October 1st through the 4th, there's a great opportunity to come and to be part of our Global Missions Week where we launch all of our trips and we start to talk about what is going to be happening in 2017 and where we will be strategically going as a church to bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But here's what I know. I know God has called all of his people, every single one of you who are within earshot of this message. He's called every single one of us to participate in bringing the gospel message to those who do not know. You say, well, how does that work? He has called every one of us to pray. He has called every one of his children and every one of his followers to pray for the unreached. And for many of us, if not most of us, and maybe not if, even if, if, maybe for all of us, he's called us to give. You know, that trip that we had an opportunity to take would not have ever happened without the people who gave financially to make it happen. We didn't just get to go and participate in this trip. We got to bless that ministry with thousands of dollars because of the men and women who understood what it meant to give and to send. And maybe you're in a position where you can do that. You can give and you can bless. Maybe you can send. Maybe you can bless the ministry. I don't know what that looks like, but you can. And if you can, do it. And then some of us, God has called to go. Not all of us, but some of us, God has called to go. And if he's saying go, don't stop. Believe in his power, not yours. And run after him with everything you have. So I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for open hearts to receive this. And I want to encourage you to say, now what? Do you care? Because God is begging us to care. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us, Lord, and I want to first say thank you that we live in a nation that is free for us to come and to worship and to celebrate you like this. But God, it pains our heart to know that there are people that not only do not have the freedom to come and to worship you in atmospheres like this, but they have no knowledge of you, Lord God, and the truth that comes through you. And Father, I pray right now that there's an appropriate burden placed on our hearts, that the ownership of the gospel message of Jesus Christ right now would create an appropriate burden of obligation to do something about it in all of our hearts and our lives. Lord, you have called us to be missionaries on every front, Father. And whether that be to pray, whether that be to give, whether that be to go, or a combination of all of those things, Lord God, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do and through your Holy Spirit in all of our lives, Lord God. And we say yes to that. And we pray for those who even right now at this very moment, Lord God, are in these areas of the world that are completely unreached. Father, I pray that miraculously you would reach these people through your people and through ways that we could not even fathom how you are coming and revealing yourself to them, Lord God. We say yes to the challenge, to your call, and we bless you pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.